before we uh, begin our time in God's Word this morning, I want to thank John for the invitation. Our time with you all has been uh, refreshing, joy-filled. Uh, I want to say that as you get to travel around a little bit and meet other churches, you realize or begin to recognize, I suppose, how rare what you have here is. Um, so please don't take that for granted. You are well loved, well taught, well fed. Um, the caliber of saints that you fellowship with are not common. So please uh, take it from, from an outsider's perspective, if that's worth anything, to treasure one another, to um, give thanks to God for the teaching that you receive week in and week out. There are churches who don't receive anything close um, to that kind of faithful proclamation. So um, be thankful to God and, and rejoice and grow. Uh, this week we've been walking through really a rather short verse in uh, Acts. It describes the first few almost hours of the life of the church. And it says in Acts 2.42 that the saints were devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching fellowship, the breaking of bread, and prayers. I just realized a few moments ago that this Lord's Day we get to enjoy all five of those aspects. We've already enjoyed prayer. We will continue to enjoy in fellowship. We will receive ministry from the Word. We will literally break bread together and take the supper. And the fifth would be, while it's not overtly mentioned in the text, it's our topic for today, it's the day upon which they met, the Sabbath. And so that's the topic that we want to speak to from the Word of God today. So I would ask you to turn in your Bibles to Isaiah 58, if you will. Isaiah 58 will be concerned primarily with verses 13 through 14, but I'd like to begin reading at verse 6 to kind of help set the context and the tone of the chapter. Pick up in the middle of an argument that Isaiah is having. What I'm about to read is the holy and the inspired, the inerrant word of the living God. Please give it your full attention as it's read to you this morning. Isaiah 58, verse 6, the Lord is the one speaking. He says, is this the fast that I choose? To loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free. Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house? When you see the naked to cover him and not hide yourself from your own flesh, then shall your light break forth like the dawn, and your healing shall spring up speedily. Your righteousness shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. Then you shall call, and the Lord will answer. You shall cry, and he will say, Here I am. If you take away the yoke from your midst, the pointing of the finger and the speaking of wickedness, if you pour yourself out for the hungry and satisfy the desire of the afflicted, then shall your light rise in the darkness and your gloom be as the noonday. And the Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your desire in scorched places and make your bones strong. And you shall be like a watered garden, like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. And your ancient ruins shall be rebuilt. You shall raise up the foundations of many generations. You shall be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of streets to dwell in. If you turn your foot back, or if you turn back your foot from the Sabbath, from doing your own pleasure on my holy day, and call the Sabbath a delight, and the holy day of the Lord 
honorable. If you honor it, not going your own way or seeking your own pleasure or talking idly, then you shall take delight in the Lord, and I will make you ride on the heights of the earth. I will feed you with the heritage of Jacob, your father, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will endure forever. Let's pray. Our Father, we seek your help this morning. We thank you for the blessing that it has been to see the light dawn on another day. Another day in your kingdom. Another day with breath in our lungs and, and life in our veins. Another day where we see the dawn of your kingdom continuing to expand across this earth. Another day where we see you conquering people from every tribe, nation, and tongue to be your own. Another day of victory. Another day where Christ's name is lifted high among people of every language. Lord, thank you for the life you've given us. And we thank you for this day, Lord, a special day, not just any day of the week, but the Lord's day, a Sabbath day. A day that you've given us as a gift. Lord, I pray that as we speak to this topic, that you would grant understanding, that you would guard my lips, that I would not say anything that is not true of you, not true of what your word has said. I pray that your Holy Spirit would empower me to speak with clarity and boldness. I pray for your Holy Spirit to be among the hearers this morning that He would illumine and enlighten your words that goes forth, that He would change hearts, change minds, empower and strengthen wills, and build up what has been broken down. Lord, in every area of our life, we need You. Cause us to repent of our self-reliance. Cause us to repent of any thought that we can do this on our own. May we humbly beg of you to be our help, to strengthen, to guide, to lead, and transform us. We pray this in the name of our Savior. Amen. Well, I don't, well, I don't know uh, who it is that exactly said it to begin with. I do attribute uh, or, or concede the truth of this following statement. It's, it's true certainly of us, I believe it was said of American, uh, but you, you can tell me if it's true of those, uh, our, our brothers and sisters in the north in Canada as well. <coughs> Someone said that we too often worship at our work, work at our play, and we play at our worship. I found that to be exceedingly true of, of our context in the States, and I don't think it would be too far of a stretch to say that it's also true here in your context as well. We as lost, sinful people are, are so backwards in the way that we orient our lives. And we can take a gift, work, is something that God gave to man pre-fall as a gift, and we can turn it into this sense of identity and value where we measure what kind of a person we are, how good we are, and whether we have worth and, and status in the world. And we can so pour ourselves into our career and what we do that we identify ourselves by it. That we, to use this unknown author's language, we, we almost worship at our work. And we can be so intense at our, at our play and recreation that that we take this gift that is refreshment and enjoyment of all of the gifts of God. God gave us gifts to be enjoyed. God didn't set us in a beautiful place and say, you know, don't enjoy it. No, He put us in a beautiful world that declares His glory day and night, and we're to enjoy the gifts of God. And man in his sinfulness can turn that into obsession, into idolatry, into something that controls him or, or something that he strives after so f fervently that it's almost work. 
We can sadly also play at our worship. We can come into the assembly of the saints, whether it's in a, a building at camp or a building in a town. Pastor John's absolutely correct. Church isn't a building. Church is a people. Uh, we can come into this place among the Lord's people on the Lord's day, and we can come with a sense of carelessness. We can come with a sense of thoughtlessness. We can come with a sense of uh, not really taking it all that seriously and fall into a pattern of normalness. Well, it is inappropriate for people that draw near to God. Sort of on all three of those topics, work, worshiping at work, working at our play, and playing at our worship, that the topic of the Lord's Day Sabbath kind of meets all of them head on. And sadly, the topic of the Lord's Day, of the Sabbath, of, of the day of worship, has caused a lot of heartache in the church. Few theological topics have caused more unrest than the Sabbath. I think it's quite a shame. Few things have so divided God's people and caused more argument and more unrest than the Sabbath. So my, my hope today is that we can avoid all unrest <laughs> over issues of Sabbath, and we can just come to the Word of God as we've already spoken on, that we as God's people ought to be committed to His Word. We're people under authority, and so it really doesn't matter what I think or what, what anyone else thinks. What really matters is what does God's Word say? What does God tell us on this topic and let that transform us and change us. Let that be the rule and measure of every area of our life. And so I want to consider this topic of the Lord's Day or the Sabbath. I'll use those two terms interchangeably, so don't, don't be confused. And I want to look at this topic under three headings. So if you're taking notes, first I want to look at the doctrine of the Sabbath. We'll look at the doctrine of the Sabbath. Before we can talk about how the Sabbath plays its way out in the life of the church, before we can talk about uh, what proper Sabbath keeping looks like and, and uh, kind of moves like in the church, we first need to establish from the Scripture itself what is Sabbath. Maybe some of you have said, I, I, I have no idea what you're talking about. You're talking about Lord's Day Sabbath. Isn't that a Jewish uh, Old Testament thing that we don't do anymore? Well, many of us, if you were to ask us, well, where does the theology of the Sabbath begin? Where in the Bible would I turn to if I want to say, well, I want to read about and study the Sabbath? Most folks would say, well, you would look at the law as it was given at Mount Sinai to Moses and the people of Israel. You would look at, well, Exodus chapter 20. And it is true that the Sabbath does appear there very, very clearly and descriptively in the Ten Commandments, and we'll get there. But that's not where we begin our study of the Lord's Day Sabbath. We begin our study back in Genesis chapter 2. And if you'd like to turn there in your Bibles, that'd be fine, that'd be great. The rustling of Bible page leaves is music to any preacher's ear. Genesis chapter 2. I want to read verses 1 through 3. There's not a lot of context to give to Genesis 2. The Lord has spoken all things into creation, and that's, that's all we've read thus far. And verse 1 of chapter 2 says, Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the hosts of them. And on the seventh day God finished His work that He had done, and He rested on the seventh day from all of His work that He had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it God rested from all His work that He had done in creation. Our doctrine of the Sabbath begins in the creation story, in the creation narrative, and what we find here is that God is the one who establishes this seventh day. It says, the words are, He blesses it, and He makes it holy. What that means is He, he sets it apart for sacred use. It really is at the root of the word holy. It means to set aside or consecrate, to devote for sacred use. 
Genesis 2 said that's what God did at creation with the seventh day. And we need to be very observant at this point and, and realize that that's not the only creation ordinance is the word we would use. Keep in context where we're at. This is pre-Genesis 3. It's not like God gave this to man post-fall. He gives it to man pre-fall. It finds itself right alongside the order, the ordinance or command given to man to, to be the steward of God on the earth, to, to rule and reign over God's creation on his behalf. And there's also another ordinance that we find right alongside it, and that's the ordinance of marriage, given pre-fall to man in his perfect state. And so if we could take all three of those and say, what, what is God giving to man in creation? Well, he's telling us, be over the creation as, as vice ruler and have dominion over the earth and fill it and multiply. Engage in proper biblical marriage, and that is a gift given to unfallen man as, as, a, as a benevolent gift from God. And also, set this day aside, set the seventh day aside for rest and for holy consecrated use. I would argue for, uh, some would say that the Sabbath is strictly limited to the Mosaic Covenant, to those rule and statutes that involve like don't wearing cotton and synthetics, don't eat pluots, you know, plum and apricots mixed together. And they would put the Sabbath in that list of things that rightly do not continue into the New Covenant. My argument is this, the Sabbath didn't start there, nor do we find it in those sorts of laws. The Sabbath finds its precedent, its establishment here at the dawn of creation where man is in his unfallen state and it comes, don't lose the context, as a gift, not as a burden, not as something that should be weighing man down, not something that should be hard for him or weighing him back or... or troublesome to him, it's given right alongside marriage and the gift of, of having dominion over the creation. Don't lose this, friends. The, the creation ordinance of Sabbath is a beautiful, wonderful gift given to man by his God. The next place we see the Sabbath is in Exodus chapter 20. And again, this is just a... I want it to be a brief survey. My tendency is to not to be brief, but um, I want you to look at Exodus 20, verses 8 through 11. Remember the context. This is in what we call the, the Decalogue, if you want to use a $6 word, it's in the Ten Commandments. And these are binding in all circumstances, in all ages. And the context that we find, the fourth commandment, the commandment involving the Sabbath, finds itself sandwiched between two other commands, well, nine other commands, but the one before and the one after it certainly are, are ones that we would say are still binding today. Every parent wants to say the fifth commandment is binding today, right? Honor your father and mother. We, we want our kids to memorize that one early. We would also say that the third commandment is, is still binding today. Do not take the, the name of your Lord God in vain. This is still binding today as a, as a prohibition on all blasphemous, uh, needless taking of the name of God on your lips. But then in the positive side, as we've looked at this week, pray. Like the positive side of that command is don't take it in vain, but take it properly and in a holy fashion. Look at verse 8. Remember the Sabbath day. To keep it holy, six days you shall labor and do all of your work. But the seventh day is the Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son, or your daughter, your male servant, your female servant, or your livestock, or the sojourner who is within your gates. For Now look at the precedent that this commandment harkens back to. For in six days the Lord made the earth and the sea, and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day, and made it holy. As we see in this text, the, the Lord is, through his prophet Moses, 
setting yet again, reminding them to remember the Sabbath day. He doesn't say, I'm establishing the Sabbath day. It's this new thing you've never seen and never heard of it before. He says, no, remember it. Why would we be remembering it if it's brand new? Well, it's not brand new. It was established at creation. It has been observed by all the faithful saints of old up until this time, just like do not murder doesn't find its, its origin here. God has commanded that back, way back in Genesis. This, these are laws that are being restated to us. And in the midst of them, we find the command to keep God's day holy, to find rest, and to engage in holy business, you could say. Once again, we need to remind ourselves of what's being said. Is this given to be burdensome? No, not at all. Most of us, when, if you're a parent... And, and your spouse says, I'll watch the kids go find rest. We don't say, you're being burdensome to me. No, we say, thank you, bless you. I will be back in a few hours. Um, and when rest is given as a gift to us, and we, and we know this and we understand this in all other areas of our life, but we, we struggle with it here for some reason. Not only is it established in creation, finds itself in the midst of the Ten Commandments. I don't want to underplay that. I think we need to be very cautious if we were to ever pull a commandment out of the middle and say, this one is no longer binding. There's nothing unique about its structure. There's nothing unique about its content. There's nothing unique about the Fourth Commandment. And I would argue, um, and hopefully humbly so, that you could just as soon pull out Commandments 5, 6, or 7, as you could pull out the 4th and say it's no longer binding. None of us would say that, that verse 13 is no longer binding. Do not murder. None of us would say verse 14 is no longer binding. Do not commit adultery. Verse 15, do not steal. We need to remember the context in which these things come to us. This comes in the midst of the very law of God, the rule and measure of our life. When Christ comes onto the scene in the New Testament, it's not like he shows up and says, the Sabbath was, was back then, and it's over now, and you guys don't need a rest anymore. And no, he comes into the midst of um, the Gospel accounts, and what does he fight with the Pharisees most often about? It's the Sabbath. I mean, every time they pick a fight with him, it has to do with the Sabbath, and, and the the religious leaders in the day of the Lord had perverted the Sabbath. And they'd taken this gift that it meant to be a, a gift to be enjoyed. It was to be rest. It was to be rejuvenation and worship for God's people. And they had stacked on top of it all of these limitations and made it not restful but burdensome. And so it's not like Christ is rejecting what came the law of Moses, because he, as God, authored it as well. What he's saying is that these things added to the Sabbath, they aren't from God. And he's accused, and rightly accused, the, the Pharisees, you, you heap up burdens on God's people. And you've made this day not a day of rest, but you've made it a, a burden. You've made it wearying to God's people. Christ himself in Matthew 12, verse 8, declared himself to be, the, he said, the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. He doesn't abolish it. He doesn't do away with it. He, he says that he is the king over it. He is the master of it. J.C. Ryle says, Christ no more abolishes the Sabbath than a man destroys a house when he cleans off the moss or the weeds from its roof. That Christ is in the Gospels doing away with all of the man-made um, traditions that have been foisted upon the celebration of the Sabbath. And he's returning to the right understanding that it ought to be. You might say, well, didn't the, didn't the Jewish people celebrate the Sabbath on Saturday? So are you, are you saying that we ought to be Seventh-day Adventists and, and, and move it back to, to Saturday? And not advocating that at all. We do believe that in the New Covenant, in the New Testament, that the, the seventh day or the Sabbath day has shifted from Saturday to Sunday. And we, and we say that for theological reasons as well as historic redemptive reasons. Christ rose...
from the dead on the first day of the week. You might say, well, really? That's why you would move the, the day? Well, remember when the first Sabbath was established. What was it to commemorate? Creation, wasn't it? It was to commemorate and, and remind us of our creature-creation relationship. And it was in remembrance of God's creative acts in bringing and speaking everything into existence. Well, what happened on the day that Christ rose from the dead? Well, the, the dawn of the new creation began. The, the final days started that Sunday morning when he burst forth from the grave as the first fruits of the new creation. That all things are now being made new in the Lord Jesus Christ. That the, this new epoch that we are part of, begun with the resurrection of Christ, marks this massive shift in redemptive history. And so now we celebrate the Lord's Day on Sunday in commemoration of the new life, that new creation that we have in Christ. Both celebrations celebrate creation, but the greater creation then pulls that day over. To Sunday. One of my favorite Puritans, Thomas Watson, says, Great was the work of creation, but greater the work of redemption. It costs more to redeem us than to make us. In the one, there is only the speaking of a word. In the other, the shedding of blood. The creation was the work of God's fingers. The redemption, the work of His arms. In creation, God gave us ourselves. In redemption, He gives us Himself. So the Sabbath, putting us in mind of our redemption, ought to be, ought to be observed with the highest devotion. The original Sabbath was a celebration and even a, a, a submission to this truth, that we are in a creature-creator relationship with God. We are His creatures. And His laws are binding upon us. In the new celebration of the Sabbath, we celebrate the recreator and ourselves as His recreation made new creatures in Christ. That is a brief overview. You might say, oh, it didn't feel all that brief. But it was a brief overview of, of the doctrine of the Sabbath. That it, it is given as a gift. It's given as rest. It's given for holy use. It shifts in days because of the shift in redemptive history from old creation to new creation. And it, it should bring special significance to us every Sunday morning. Every Sunday is a celebration of Resurrection Sunday, isn't it? Every time we gather with God's people, we're saying by the very nature of the day upon which we meet, the resurrection is at the center of everything that we believe. That the resurrection of our Savior is so central to Christianity that it even marks the day upon which we praise Him. Because if He stayed in that grave, you and I would have hoped in vain. You and I would have no hope of, of life. We would be the most foolish people on the planet, the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is celebrated every single day. Sunday, when his people gather and say, Our God rose from the dead. Our Christ is alive, and he is now ascended and, and ruling and reigning at the right hand of his Father, and he has made us new creatures in that new creation, and we celebrate that life with joyful celebration on Sunday. So that's the doctrine of the Sabbath. Secondly, we want to look at the delight in the Sabbath. Delight in the Sabbath. The Sabbath was made and given to be a delight to God's people. It was not given to be burdensome. Matthew 20, or 2, 27 says, And Christ said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Well, that doesn't mean is it doesn't mean that you get to do whatever you like on the Sabbath and that man gets to determine all of it. Well, what it says is that that it's not like the Sabbath was to be a burden on man, but man was 
to be the, the blessed recipient of it. He who made you knows you. And he knows that we need rest. He knows that we are going to be tired from laboring in the world. That we need to rest one day a week. That we need to stop pursuing work, stop pursuing all the things that capture our minds all week long. And we need a day physically to rest. We also need a day spiritually to rest. We need to come, and I don't know about you, but coming out of a week in the world, being subjected to the barrage of lies that are out there, being subjected to blasphemous words spoken in our presence, being subjected to, to sin and the world's worldview, and, and, and all that just wears me out. I need to come into the assembly of God's people. I need a day for me to say, the pursuit of, of all the things that I've, I've been pursuing all week long, I, that needs to stop. And I need a day to pursue God. He who made you, who made you knows you. And he knows that you and I need a day set aside, dedicated to the pursuit, not of work, but of God. Is that a wearying thing? Christian. To have a day to pursue God. To have a day to go to Him and be refreshed by His Word, to be strengthened in prayer, to have your heart stirred up by the praises of His people, and to have your really your love for Him inflamed because or as a result of your fellowship with one another. That's not burdensome. That's joyful. That's a gift. That's gracious. That's in the positive sense of the word. That's condescension. He knows us. He knows that we need Him. A.W. Pink said the Sabbath was designed as a day of gladness, not of gloom. I don't know if I can emphasize enough that the Sabbath day, the day of rest, the Lord's day, is given to not be a burden, but to be a joy. And we as sinful, fallen human beings can often turn those good gifts into burdens. It's what they did all throughout the Old Testament. It's what we do now. Even, even as some of us hear the doctrine of the Sabbath talk, we're like, oh, really? That means I don't get to have... I guess Sundays are just going to be boring from now on. That's, it's just going to be this big bummer of a day. Well, that's, that's not it at all. That attitude isn't a new one. It's one that's been captured for a long time. And it's the one that the Lord confronts in several places, but also in Amos 8, verse 5. It, the Lord rehearses this mantra that is said by the people on the day. It goes essentially like this. When will the Sabbath day be over so that I can get back to work? When will this new moon end so that we can make money again? It was viewing the Sabbath as oppressive, not an opportunity to seek the Lord. It was viewing the Sabbath as a burden, not as a blessing. It was viewing it as a weight, not a chance to worship. The Sabbath is never given as a oppressive burden, but always given as a gift, always given as rest. If you, I don't know where you're at in your Bibles, but journey back to Isaiah 58. There's an aspect here that we need to remind ourselves of and need to lay hold of if we can have any right understanding of the Lord's day. Verse 13 of Isaiah 58. There's a word that shows up twice in this text, and I don't want us to miss it. He says in the second half of verse 13, and call the Sabbath a delight. Verse 14, the beginning, you shall take delight in the Lord. This isn't a day of, of burdens and oppression. This isn't a day of, to be dreary and, and filled with doom and gloom. This is a day for joy and refreshment and finding your satisfaction and rest in God. It's not a day for us to be 
as it says in verse 13, doing your own pleasure. Many of your translations, I, I hope, would have a footnote there, at least my ESV does. And it says, this doing of your own pleasure literally is, is doing your own business. The sense is, this, the seventh day, or for in our case, the first day of the week, the Lord's Day Sabbath, isn't a day for us to be the architect of pursuing our own ends and our own business ideas and our own pursuits and entertainments and joys and pleasures and all the things that fill up the rest of our week. That's not what the day is about. The day is about finding delight in the Lord. Finding joy in the Lord. And I, I love the way that some of the Puritans would speak of this day. I'll read to you from John Newstom. He wrote this in 1517. And this quote really helped shape and form the perspectives of uh, the Puritans on the Sabbath. He says, The Lord has appointed the Sabbath to the exercise of the word and prayer, that being unburdened of worldly affairs, they might with free hearts and minds attend upon the word and prayer and meditation. The Sabbath is appointed to be the market day of the soul, to make provision for the days that follow. And John Newstow and, and all of the Puritans and Reformers were all united in their interpretation of the Scripture's teaching on the Sabbath, and it was this. And the Sabbath isn't a burdening day. It's a day where God says, let me unburden you from your work and pursuit of work, let me unburden you from all of the concerns that have filled up the other six days. And let me free you to engage in heaven's business. To, as it go, go into a, the spiritual marketplace and purchase goods that you desperately need for the next week. It's not just coming in and, and finding rest and refreshment from the week that has passed, but it's preparing us and preparing our hearts, and preparing us spiritually for what is about to, to happen in the coming week. This is a day for us to come and devour the Word of God. It's the day to come and, and wash ourselves in the Word and prayer. It's a, a day to come and strengthen ourselves in fellowship. It's a day where we set about Heaven's business because we desperately need Him. I watch sometimes as our folks come into our church on Sunday morning. And some of them, and, I, and this isn't a criticism of them, please don't hear it that way. Some of them come in so battle-weary, and rightly so. They lived as aliens and strangers, spiritually, in a hostile world, where the world and the flesh and the devil, our enemy, waged war on them. And they come in weary. They come in sometimes wrestling with unbelief. They come in just tired, wore out. The Lord's Day is to be a day where they're refreshed and built up. It's a day for them to hear not just their voice say the truths of His Word, but to hear it from other people. You realize the life-changing truths you just got done singing moments ago. I, I love listening to God's people sing. I love listening to them read. We, we do a lot of responsive reading in our church. And to hear the saints say, The Lord is our shield, our refuge, our fortress. We cannot be shaken. To hear other saints say that very same thing that you believe. That the word affirms, it encourages my heart. And hopefully them hearing me say it alongside of them encourage, encourages their hearts as well. It's to be a day where you engage in business. Don't make the mistake of thinking this. Rest doesn't equal idleness. It's not a day where you do nothing. It's a day where you actually engage in heaven's business. Today, where you engage in worship, where you engage in the word and prayer and fellowship, and we'll get to it feasting and enjoying this day as a gift from God. It's a day that I think 
Isaiah 55 captures beautifully. I'll, I'll just read it to you. Don't, don't have to turn there. He says, Come everyone who thirsts. Come to the water. And he who has no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for what is not bread? And your labor for what does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me. And eat what is good. And delight yourself in rich food. I feel like we could almost read that each and every Lord's Day as God's people assemble. Come. This is a day not to spend your money on what doesn't satisfy. It's a day for you to come to His Word and His truth. So God, you, your Word is truth. It's, come, it's time for us to come before the table and, and hold up the, the bread and the cup and say, True, true meat, true drink. The, the table of the Lord has everything for me and the table of the world has nothing. The Lord's Day should be the highlight of your week. Lord's Day is to be a, a high day, a Sabbath day, a festival day. John Newton, be quickly becoming one of my favorite uh, pastors and, and hymn writers, said safely, this is one of his hymns, I need to find it and I think we need to learn how to sing it at, at our church in Kirkland. He says, safely through another week, God has brought us on our way. Let us now a blessing seek on the approaching Sabbath day. Day of all the week the best. Emblem of our eternal rest. I love the way he puts it. Day of all the week the best. One of my um, spiritual mentors, though I've never met him personally, I'm jealous because he I heard Pastor John mention, oh yeah, I was talking with Dr. Beakey and... I, uh, I covet that very much, <laughs> but I repent of it quickly after. <laughs> James says to confess our sins to each other. So we'll just. Well, Dr. Beaky says uh, that he sought to instill this in his kids in the most practical of ways. He said on, on the Lord's Day on Sunday he would wake up the kids. And you think that's not a really good way to start off a joyful day being woken up? He said he would, he would with joy go into his kids' room and tell them, today is our favorite day of the week. Today's the best day. You know, I don't know if I'd be happy if my dad woke me up with those words, but it drilled in and, and drove in every day. If you could hear your dad with genuine joy, his voice say, today, children, the best day of the week. And he said Mrs. Beaky would make cinnamon rolls every Sunday morning. Some, some of you might be Sabbatarians just for that reason alone. <laughs> it gets you cinnamon rolls. He said it was a small way to show the children, isn't this a good day? Isn't this a good day where we feast in God's presence? And we say this is a, a joyful day, a day of rejoicing before God, a day where we celebrate the goodness that He's given not a dreary day, not a doomsday, but a Sabbath day, a high day, a cinnamon roll kind of day. I think that's a wonderful way to teach our kids it's the best day of the week. I've done it infrequently, not as, as uh, consistently as I should, but often I'll, I'll tell my daughters on Sunday, today's the best day. Today's a good day. We're going to go to church and we can see people for whom Jesus has died and saved. That's a good day. We get to hear the living God talk to us in His Word. That's a good day. We get to go and fellowship with people who love us. You know I don't deserve being there. They love us. And our brothers and our sisters. It's a family day as we meet with God's people. That should be the best day of the week. I cringe when I hear Sabbatarianism taught in a burdensome way or in a boring, dry way. It should never be that. It's a good day. It's a day where we are blessed to set aside these pursuits and take up heaven's work and seek God. And you should do that because God is wiser than you. God's wiser than me. He knows we need rest. And he knows we need spiritual refreshment. Quickly and thirdly, 
I want to look at the desire for the Sabbath. Not just the doctrine, not just the delight, but I want to look at the desire for the Sabbath. The Sabbath should point us in a couple of different directions. Just like the Lord's Supper has past, present, and future aspects in the way that it points us to different doctrinal truths, so the Sabbath reminds us of, of three main truths. It should remind us of the past. Every day you walk in, every, every Sunday, every Lord's Day, you should remember, my God has ransomed me and caused me to be part of the new creation. And he did that at the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Kids, today we celebrate that Christ burst the bonds of death, that, that he emptied death of all of its sting and all of its venom and all of its poison and power, and, and he burst it apart. Today we celebrate the destruction of death, the celebration of life. Every Lord's Day we look back and say, our, our Savior was victorious over the grave. That's a good day. That's a good day. The Sabbath should point us to the present. It should be a, a present resting and engaging in heaven's business. Every day we come into, every Sunday when we come into uh, the assembly of the saints, we should say to ourselves, this is a day that I desperately need to, to go to God, and, and this is a market day of the soul. And I come out of this last week weary, and I, I look ahead of this week already tempted with anxiety about what's coming down the road, and I need to, to just saturate myself with the gifts of God. I need to avail myself of all of the streams of grace that the Lord can pour into my life through the word and prayer and fellowship and the preaching and, and the table. All of these means by which strengthening grace flows. We need to admit we're weak and needy people. Don't come into the Lord's house and say, I'm, I'm like the fool in the Gospels. I'm, I'm full and, and in need of nothing. Don't ever come into God's house that way. Come into God's house and say, I'm weak, and strength is found in this assembly. I'm foolish, and wisdom is found in this assembly. I'm discouraged, and encouragement is found here. Maybe you come into God's house excited and zealous. And you look and say, who can I encourage? Who can I build up? Who can I minister to? Who can I, who can I be an ear to listen? A shoulder to cry on? A voice to rejoice alongside of you and rejoice? It should be present encouragement. Present strength. Present relief and rest. It should also point us forward. The Sabbath is a picture of not just what is coming, or what has been, not just of what is happening now, but it should remind us of what is coming. The Word, and in particular the New Testament, but as well as in the Old, it views the Sabbath as a foretaste of what's ahead. Do you realize that what we do on this day is a picture of what's coming in heaven? That this day, a day of rest, it, it's called that because heaven is called rest. It's a day of worship and holy, the set aside for holy use. Why would we call it that? Because it celebrates what we will do then. I like to think of the Lord's Day as a dress rehearsal. We prepare for heaven today. We hear God's word. We speak to him. We fellowship among his saints. We feast in his presence. That's dress rehearsal. And just like when I got married, I, I did not view the dress rehearsal as loathsome. <laughs> I didn't view it as burdensome. I didn't want to rush through it. Why? I was eagerly anticipating the coming day where I would take a woman way out of my league to be my wife. Well, the church celebrates her future wedding. Her future wedding supper with the Lamb, her eternal future with the saints and her heavenly husband. And we taste it now. It's similar with the table. We, we taste 
It's like tasting the wedding cake before the wedding, given a sampling of what is coming. My fear is, is when Christians are bored or don't want to be with God's people on God's day. They don't, they don't want to engage in word and prayer and fellowship and, and feasting and, and, and all that accompanies it. And they don't want to do that. They want to do other things. That's worrisome to me. So we're weary with it here. Will we love it and enjoy it there? No, our hearts should be knit to these things now, here. Preparing us, practicing, as it were, for heaven. Pastor Bruce Ray, a man whose shoes I, uh, I'm trying to fill, <laughs> and uh, I pastor, uh, after he finished 39 years of faithful ministry and, and continues on as uh, one of my elders, he wrote in a book on the Sabbath, one I'll recommend in a moment. He says, just as the Lord's Supper combines elements of memorial and expectation, remembering the death and anticipating His coming, so this Lord's Day gathers up all that has gone before, and it looks forward to all that is yet to come. There should be a sense of eager anticipation here. One day, think of this, one day, we will be together, feasting in His presence. And there will never be an end to that Sabbath. There will never be an end. Sin will never come crashing in again. And we'll drink from His fullness and His sweetness for an eternity. Taste that and, and rejoice in that here and now. You might say, well, how do I, how do I begin? This is, maybe this is new for you. Maybe this is uh, not new, and you say, I, I look at my life and I say, you know, I don't think I, I, don't think I celebrate. And, I, and please use that word. I don't think I celebrate. It puts joy into the way we speak. I don't think I celebrate the Sabbath as I ought to. How, how would I maybe grow in this? Well, I've got a few recommendations. All of them come from Pastor Ray's book. I would recommend it. I've heard you had some copies on your book table. My goal is that if there are any remaining, they'll sell out, and Pastor John will have to order more. This is a short, very readable book written for just the, the average person in the pew to say, what does delighting in the Lord's Day look like? So I would recommend it. I don't get any kickbacks for recommending this. I just think it's, it's a good book. Celebrating the Sabbath by Pastor Bruce Ray. Four ways to keep the Sabbath. Keep it, these are his, way, his words, not mine, holily. It's a way of conjugating holy. <laughs> Keep this day set apart. Keep it as different. Set it aside for holy use. That's the concept behind consecration. I take this day, and I don't do common things on it. I do special things. I do things geared to, to Godward and heavenward and, and churchward. Let it be a day set apart. Strive. <coughs> Uh, I, sh I should have mentioned before I started this list, I, I won't give you a comprehensive list of do's and don'ts. I, I think that that's a dangerous thing to do. Everyone who's done it in church history got themselves in trouble. I prefer with Sabbath theology and practice that we give principles and that we let those principles guide our decision making. I know you say, well, I don't want principles, I want a list. It's easier to keep a list. Well, I think it honors God for us to wrestle through and think through these areas in our life, and, and, and asking ourselves questions. So one of the questions of, can I, should I do this on the Lord's Day? I, my first question, is it in accord with having this day be set aside for, for holy use, for, for sacred use? I would just ask that question. And you wrestle with that in your own heart and conscience. Keep the day holy. It should be different. It should be set apart. At bare minimum, at absolute minimum, it would be to assemble with God's people. And I actually don't think that's a, a part that we can negotiate on. It's commanded repeatedly in the New Testament to not forsake the assembling of yourselves together, to not be apart from God's people. Have it be a set apart day. Keep it happily. It is to be a feast day, a joy filled day. So, I'm not mandating it. I'm sure kids will. This is probably the only time your kids quote the sermon back to you. 
cinnamon rolls are a good idea. <laughs> Unless you're gluten, you have issues with gluten. Gluten free cinnamon rolls are probably an abomination, so find <laughs> Keep it happening. I know of a, I know of a church, I know of people. I, I don't do this. I I want to chat with my wife and, and see if this is something that we can do. I know of a church who got through Sabbath theology and, strangely enough, the book of Ecclesiastes and said, let's put these two together. And so what they do is there are families that budget money aside and they, they buy good food, good, good steak, good, good meat, and good drink. And they get together just casually as families on Saturday night. And they eat and rejoice in God's presence to usher in the Lord's day. And they spend time in prayer and, and psalm singing and just saying, this is a good day. This is a day to be happy and joyful for what God's done. We're going to get with God's people. We're going to eat good food. And we're going to rejoice and sing. And so I know of folks who get together each Saturday and prepare their hearts for the coming morning by singing together. And stirring each other up with the word. And saying good gifts are given to be enjoyed, yeah, all within limitations of the scripture, and enjoy good food. Keep it happily. Keep it honestly. As we said, rest doesn't mean idleness. It doesn't, it's not a day for you to sit in a chair and just not do anything. It's, it's not what he has in mind. It's a day to engage in heaven's business. But it is a day to cease from your work. As Isaiah says, from your own business and pleasure. And I want to read to you a, a list from Pastor Ray, and these are principles, again, not a list, uh, of questions that can be helpful to ask when you're saying, am I keeping this day honestly? What he's trying to do is invoke your conscience here. You know your heart and your own motives. He says, this is a way to ask, am I keeping this day honestly? One question would be, will it refresh me? Or will it wear me out? It's an honest question to ask. This one might be a little more controversial. Is it competitive in spirit, as in league sports? Or is it compatible with the purpose of refreshment and Sabbath? What if I lose? <laughs> he says, again, taking that further, will this be restful? Or will this be a day where I, I lose my temper because I lost and get super aggressive? That's not, that's not in keeping with the principles we want to strive for. Will this planned recreational activity interfere with my previous commitments to corporate worship and fellowship? If I do this, will it cause me to miss or be late for a service? Will this impinge on my gathering with God's people? Is my, uh, the, the second to last question, is my will subordinate to the will of God? Or am I doing my own thing and thus doing my pleasure on His holy day? Is what I'm about to do seen as pleasing to God? That's a great question to ask any day, but especially on the Lord's Day. Lastly, can I do this? Uh, can I do what I'm thinking about doing in pursuit of the glory of God? Can I, can I add soli Deo Gloria to what I'm about to engage in? If I can't, I, I shouldn't do it on any day, let alone on the Lord's Day. Keep it humbly. The humbly aspect of the Sabbath is uh, that God knows better than I do. That He knows I need rest and He knows I need spiritual refreshment. And so humble Sabbath keeping would be to say the Lord knows best. I'm a needy person. And while I can be tempted with pride to say that I, I don't need to be there, I don't need to, to do this, I don't need to, to be built up, I, I, I'm strong and full. Be humble. Be humble. And say, the Creator, the one who knows my frame, He knows me. And He gave me this day because He knows me. <laughs> and He knows that I need it. Lastly, look at, the, look at the blessing that's given. Look at the end of verse 14. This language almost seems unbelievable. What happens to those who turn their foot away from doing their own business? And delight in God's Sabbath? I will make you ride, verse 14 says, on the heights of the earth. I will feed you 
with the heritage of Jacob, your father, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Dedicate and set yourself to the Lord, church. And trust He will feed you. He will refresh you. If you come in tired, know this, He will, he will refresh you. If you come in weary, He will feed you. And all this for His glory and honor. Amen. Let's pray. Our Father, we pray that we would be a people who delight in Him. That we would be a people who rejoice in the accomplishments of our Savior. Oh, give us rest in our Savior. Thank you for the gift of the Lord's day. And thank you for the gift of the Lord's people. Lord, your saints, they are beloved because you have set your affections on them. It is beautiful. Each and every time your people assemble to call on your name. Oh, I pray that this church would be marked as the church in Acts was marked by their devotion, their dedication, their unwillingness to compromise on these things, that they would be a people dedicated to the Word, a people dedicated to prayer, a people dedicated to fellowship, to, to one another, a people dedicated to the Lord's table, and a people dedicated to the Lord's day. Oh Lord, you must change our hearts. Help us to see the joy and the delight that is your day. We pray this in our Savior's name. Amen. Amen.